Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue, Gorgias, Part 11 Socrates, crestfallen that Callicles wants to abandon the argument before it is complete, expresses his frustration. I suppose that there is absolutely no help. And if I am to carry on the inquiry by myself, I will first of all remark that not only I, but all of us, should have an ambition to know what is true and what is false in this matter. For the discovery of the truth is a common good. And now I will proceed to argue according to my own notion. But if any of you think that I arrive at conclusions which are untrue, you must interpose and refute me. For I do not speak from any knowledge of what I am saying. I am an enquirer like yourselves. And therefore, if my opponent says anything which is of force, I shall be the first to agree with him. I am speaking on the supposition that the argument ought to be completed. But if you think otherwise, let us leave off and go our ways. I think, Socrates, said Gorgias, that we should not go our ways until you have completed the argument. And this appears to me to be the wish of the rest of the company. I myself should very much like to hear what more you have to say. I, too, Gorgias, should have liked to continue the argument with Callicles, and then I might have given him an Amphion in return for his Zethus. But since you, Callicles, are unwilling to continue, I hope that you will listen and interrupt me if I seem to you to be in error. And if you refute me, I shall not be angry with you as you are with me, but I shall inscribe you as the greatest of benefactors on the tablets of my soul. My good fellow, said Callicles, never mind me, but get on. Listen to me, then, while I recapitulate the argument. Is the pleasant the same as the good? Not the same. Callicles and I are agreed about that. And is the pleasant to be pursued for the sake of the good, or the good for the sake of the pleasant? The pleasant is to be pursued for the sake of the good. And that is pleasant at the presence of which we are pleased, and that is good at the presence of which we are good. To be sure. And we are good and all good things whatever are good, when some virtue is present in us or them. That, Callicles, is my conviction. But the virtue of each thing, whether body or soul, instrument or creature, when given to them in the best way, comes to them, not by chance, but as the result of the order and truth and art which are imparted to them. Am I not right? I maintain that I am. And is not the virtue of each thing dependent on order or arrangement? Yes, I say, and that which makes a thing good is the proper order inhering in each thing. Such is my view. And is not the soul which has an order of her own better than that which has no order? Certainly. And the soul which has order is orderly? Of course. And that which is orderly is temperate, assuredly. 
and the temperate soul is good? No other answer can I give, Callicles, dear. Have you any? Go on, my good fellow, said Callicles. Then I shall proceed to add that if the temperate soul is the good soul, the soul which is in the opposite condition, that is, the foolish and intemperate, is the bad soul. This is very true. And will not the temperate man do what is proper, both in relation to the gods and to men? For he would not be temperate if he did not. Certainly he will do what is proper. In his relation to other men, he will do what is just. And in his relation to the gods, he will do what is holy. And he who does what is just and holy must be just and holy? This too must be very true. And must he not be courageous? For the duty of a temperate man is not to follow or to avoid what he ought not, but what he ought whether things or men or pleasures or pains, and patiently to endure when he ought. And therefore, Callicles, the temperate man, being, as we have described, also just and courageous and holy, cannot be other than a perfectly good man. Nor can the good man do otherwise than well and perfectly whatever he does. And he who does well must of necessity be happy and blessed, and the evil man who does evil, miserable. Now this latter is he whom you were applauding, the intemperate, who is the opposite of the temperate. Such is my position, and these things I affirm to be true. And if they are true, then I further affirm that he who desires to be happy must pursue and practice temperance and run away from intemperance as fast as his legs will carry him. He had better order his life so as not to need punishment. But if either he or any of his friends, whether private, individual, or city, are in need of punishment, then justice must be done and he must suffer punishment, if he would be happy. This appears to me to be the aim which a man ought to have, and towards which he ought to direct all the energies both of himself and of the state, acting so that he may have temperance and justice present with him, and be happy, not suffering his lusts to be unrestrained and in the never-ending desire satisfy them leading a robber's life. Such a one is the friend neither of God nor man, for he is incapable of communion, and he who is incapable of communion is also incapable of friendship. And philosophers tell us, Callicles, that communion and friendship and orderliness and temperance and justice bind together heaven and earth, and gods and men, and that this universe is therefore called cosmos, or order, not disorder or misrule, my friend. But although you are a philosopher, you seem to me never to have observed that geometrical equality is mighty, both among gods and men. You think you ought to cultivate inequality or excess, and do not care about geometry. Well then, 
either the principle that the happy are made happy by the possession of justice and temperance, and the miserable miserable by the possession of vice must be refuted, or, if it is granted, what will be the consequences? All the consequences which I drew before, Callicles, and about which you ask me whether I was in earnest when I said that a man ought to accuse himself and his son and his friend if he did anything wrong, and that to this end he should use his rhetoric. All those consequences are true, and that which you thought that Polis was led to admit out of modesty is true, namely, that to do injustice, if more disgraceful than to suffer, is in that degree worse. And the other position, which, according to Polis, Gorgias admitted out of modesty, that he who would truly be a rhetorician ought to be just and have a knowledge of justice, has also turned out to be true. And now, these things being as we have said, let us proceed in the next place to consider whether you are right in throwing in my teeth that I am unable to help myself or any of my friends or kinsmen, or to save them in the extremity of danger, and that I am in the power of another like an outlaw to whom any one may do what he likes. He may box my ears, which was a brave saying of yours, or take away my goods, or banish me, or even do his worst and kill me, a condition which, as you say, is the height of disgrace. My answer to you is one which has been already often repeated, but may as well be repeated once more. I tell you, Callicles, that to be boxed on the ears wrongfully is not the worst evil which can befall a man, nor to have my purse or my body cut open, but that to smite and slay me and mine wrongfully is far more disgraceful and more evil. Aye, and to despoil and enslave and pillage, or in any way at all to wrong me and mine, is far more disgraceful and evil to the doer of the wrong than to me who am the sufferer. These truths, which have been already set forth as I state them in the previous discussion, would seem now to have been fixed and riveted by us, if I may use an expression which is certainly bold, in words which are like bonds of iron and adamant. And unless you or some other still more enterprising hero shall break them, there is no possibility of denying what I say. For my position has always been that I myself am ignorant how these things are, but that I have never met anyone who could say otherwise, any more than you can, and not appear ridiculous. This is my position still. And if what I am saying is true, and injustice is the greatest of evils to the doer of injustice, and yet there is, if possible, a greater than this greatest of evils in an unjust man not suffering retribution, what is that defense of which the want will make a man truly ridiculous? Must not the defense be one which will avert the greatest of human evils? And will not the worst of all defenses be that with which a man is unable to defend himself, or his family, or his friends. And next will come that which is unable to avert the next greatest evil. 
Thirdly, that which is unable to avert the third greatest evil, and so of other evils. As is the greatness of evil, so is the honor of being able to avert them in their several degrees, and the disgrace of not being able to avert them. Am I not right, Callicles? Yes, Socrates, quite right. Seeing then that there are these two evils, the doing injustice and the suffering injustice, and we affirm that to do injustice is a greater and to suffer injustice a lesser evil, by what devices can a man succeed in obtaining the two advantages, the one of not doing and the other of not suffering injustice? Must he have the power or only the will to obtain them? I mean to ask whether a man will escape injustice if he has only the will to escape, or must he have provided himself with the power? He must, Socrates, have provided himself with the power. That is clear. And what do you say of doing injustice? Is the will only sufficient, and will that prevent him from doing injustice? Or must he have provided himself with power and art? And if he have not studied and practiced, will he be unjust still? Surely you might say, Callicles, whether you think that Polus and I were right in admitting the conclusion that no one does wrong voluntarily, but that all do wrong against their will. Granted, Socrates, if you will only have done. Then, as would appear, power and art have to be provided in order that we may do no injustice? Certainly. And what art will protect us from suffering injustice, if not wholly, yet as far as possible? I want to know whether you agree with me, for I think that such an art is the art of one who is either a ruler or even tyrant himself, or the equal and companion of the ruling power. Well said, Socrates! and pleased to observe how ready I am to praise you when you talk sense. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>